listening to Life in Limbo, a podcast about building a life you love on the foundation of what's most important to you. I'm your host, Stephanie Pellet, and each week I'll be chatting with an interesting person or sharing my own reflections on how we can stay connected to our personal values, measure what matters most to us, listen to our own voices, and build a life we love. This week on the show, I'm talking about my favorite strategies and tools for handling my inner critic. Let's go. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Life in Limbo podcast. I am very happy that you're here and making the time to listen today. I really appreciate it. Always, always. I wanted to take some time today to talk about a topic that I think plagues most of us most of the time, which is our inner critic or those inner voices that are maybe negative thought loops about ourselves or about our work. Uh, They could be, some people call it the monkey mind, Stephen Pressfield calls it resistance, whatever it is, I'm talking about those voices that are a bit insidious because they're coming from within. It's not somebody out there in the world that's telling us something negative about ourselves, although, you know, that happens occasionally. More often than not, the really cruel and mean and negative things that we hear throughout the day are coming from our own minds. And this makes it really difficult to handle because how do we stop something that feels automatic, that feels like it's happening, you know, almost below our conscious control or awareness? These thoughts are just being generated really fast about anything that we are encountering in the world. And it can be really difficult to know how to prevent it or how to deal with it, how to handle it when it does happen, and how to stop it from affecting our days and affecting our ability to get down to work. Because that's ultimately the biggest danger of these voices is that it will affect our moods and it will affect our ultimate work that we want to create in the world. Because if we're if we listen to these voices, then why would we show up? You know, they're saying such mean things about us. Why would we show up and try? So I think it's really important for us to develop strategies to combat and tackle these voices. Otherwise, they can debilitate us. And I think that the number one reason why they can debilitate us is because if it's sort of left unquestioned or unexamined, these voices can feel like the truth right? They can feel like the facts. And everyone always says feelings aren't facts, but that's really hard to remember when you're in the midst of a really powerful feeling. (laughs) It feels like a fact. And we think that anything we're feeling or anything we're thinking about ourselves, it must be true. Why wouldn't it? We're pretty smart. You know, we know how the world works. And so if we're being critical of it, then most likely that means that it's true, right? Well, obviously, no, we know it's not true, but it's very hard to, uh, you know, realize that in the heat of the moment that you're thinking these things. And the reason that I started even thinking about this in the first place was a funny uh, anecdote that my friend Mike was telling me. I didn't realize this because, spoiler alert, I've never watched tennis, (laughs) but my friend Mike tennis player has been all his life. And he was telling me about how in tennis matches, the players are constantly berating themselves. Has anyone, did you know about this? I did not know about this. I mean, I've heard about like tennis players like grunting and like making noises on the court, but I didn't realize that there's apparently this whole 
thing in tennis where the the players will sort of, if they have a bad shot, they'll be like, oh, Mike, that was such a bad shot. Like, that, that would be Mike saying it to himself. Or, like, let's say the guy's name is Matthew. He'd be like, he'd do his, his serve and he'd be like, Matthew, that was a shit serve. <laughs> Which is hilarious to in some ways and also a bit horrifying in other ways to think of these world-class athletes out on the court and every single moment they're just constantly criticizing themselves and then speaking it out loud because then everybody else can hear what you think about yourself. It's kind of horrifying. Um, And I was just so surprised by this as a sort of, you know, cultural tick of tennis, I guess you could say, um, that it seems very prevalent. Apparently, everybody does this. They're constantly making their inner voice external. I thought this was really interesting. And he said that it doesn't actually leave you feeling that bad about yourself. Because in some ways, by speaking it out loud, you're almost like a little bit making a mockery of it. Because it, it sounds so ridiculous when it's out loud in the world. Now, I don't know if this is just Mike and he's pretty pretty grounded guy, so maybe he perceives it that way, that, you know, by speaking it out loud, it makes a mockery of it. I'm sure that for some people, they are truly feeling this way. Every time they yell at themselves, they're like, yeah, I really should have done better. I don't know why that's my tennis guy voice, but it is apparently. Um, <laughs> but I think it's such an interesting exercise. And I think that it reminds me that the number one thing that I've been trying to keep in mind as I have been experiencing some of these negative inner voices is that that's a really good strategy, actually, is to speak it out loud. Brene Brown, who is the best, we all love her, St. Brene, she has a quote that she shared on Oprah Super Soul Sunday, I think, um, where she says that shame cannot survive being spoken. Shame cannot survive empathy. And I think that both parts of that sentence are true. Both sentences are true. Shame cannot survive being spoken and shame cannot survive empathy. I don't think you need to have both at the same time even. I mean, she might argue differently, but I actually think that just the speaking part is often helpful. Just putting it down on paper, saying it to your friend, even if your friend didn't have an empathetic response, I think it takes some of the power away to just say it out loud and acknowledge what it is that we are thinking and and feeling about ourselves or our work or our performance that really takes the sting out of it a little bit. Because she puts it so well, right? These inner voices often cause us to have shame. Shame is the experience of thinking I am bad, right? Um, guilt or, you know, fears about ourselves can sometimes be stemming from the feeling of I did something bad. But shame is I am something bad or I am bad or I'm broken in some way. And these can be the thoughts that are so dangerous to have in our minds are the, the shame thoughts. I'm bad. There's something wrong with me. I I don't deserve X, Y, or Z. And those are the thoughts we need to get out as fast as we possibly can, say them out in the world, and have our friends, our family, loved ones, our mentors just tell us, hey, reminder, actually, no, you're, you're not bad. Maybe you're not in a position you love right now. Maybe you're not super proud of that last work project that you did, but you as a person are not bad 
bad or broken or wrong. So that's the number one thing I've been trying. And I've been trying to encourage my friends and I to do this together. Because the other thing that I've been noticing lately, um, my friend Laura and I noticed this a few months ago. We had a day where independently we were both having a horrible day horrible. We were both crying. We were trying to do all of our coping mechanisms, journaling. I'm speaking for myself. I was journaling. I was listening to music. I was trying to, you know, go for walks, be creative, and nothing was working. And eventually, way later in the day, maybe like 5 or 6 p.m., Laura texted me and she said, can you do a tarot spread for me? And I said, sure. And, you know, this was good for me. I had it somewhere else to put my attention. So sat down, started doing the spread and then, um, you know, shared with her my interpretations of it. And then she called me and admitted that she had had the worst day where she'd been crying the whole day. And I said, me too. <laughs> and I think that made me realize how often I think that happens is that we have these thoughts in our minds, these critical thoughts like, your friend doesn't want to hear about this right now. You've complained too much about your breakup lately. Nobody wants to hear about it. Or um, you need to keep it to yourself. Don't ruin her mood. Don't ruin her day. These are the kinds of things that I have in my mind almost all the time. And so what I've been trying to do since that fateful day that we realized we were having the worst day ever and didn't share with a really close friend that that was happening because each of the close friends was worried about the other close friend, I've been trying really hard to speak it anyway and say it out loud anyway, even if it's just in a text, even if they don't respond for a while, just to say it and to not feel so ashamed of the fact that I have needs <laughs> emotionally, that I have struggles emotionally, just giving myself the grace to say, you're allowed to reach out to somebody and you're allowed to try to have support in this. That's enough. So speaking it out loud is the best thing that I can think of um, in order to move away from the power that these thoughts can have over us. The other tool that I really want to share in this conversation is one that has been so immensely helpful to me uh, over the years, and it is the work by Byron Katie. And it's kind of a similar framework to speaking something out loud, but then it takes you through this journey, journey, <laughs> it takes you through a few questions that allow you to break things down further and really further examine what's going on. So the work asks you to choose a particular thought or belief that you're having. And usually this is something that's pretty negative, that's causing you stress, uh, that's causing you fear or pain or shame, any of those things. You take the thought and then you perform a series of questions on it. So the thought has to be something like a statement. So I'll choose one right now. Um, let's say, you know, uh, she's really mad at me. Okay. So we'll choose. She's really mad at me. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular with this, but you know, we could use it on anything. So she's really mad at me. So the first question is, is it true? And usually <laughs> she says in her books, um, that usually your gut reaction is like, yeah, of course it's true. Like I have been experiencing this. I know 
what's happening? She's definitely mad at me. That's why I'm having this thought. Obviously, I'm not stupid. So that's the first question. Okay, so we've checked that one off. So then the second question is, can you absolutely 100% with zero uncertainty know that it's true? Okay, so then that one is a bit more annoying (laughs) because usually the answer is no. I cannot 100% with zero uncertainty know that this is true. All right, okay. Because, because why? Oh, because, you know, people are, are different than us and we don't know what's going on inside their heads. So there's no way with zero uncertainty that I could know for sure, for sure that that person is mad at me. So then the third question is, who am I being when I believe this thought? And this one is always really uh, powerful and emotional because usually when you have a certain thought, it means that your behavior is impacted, right? So if I believe that she's mad at me, maybe my answer might be, well, when I believe she's mad at me, I want to pull away even more. I want to be short and terse in my text messages. I want to ignore her calls, whatever. And then the fourth question is, who would I be without this thought? And usually it's more or less the opposite of the previous question, but it's still a helpful exercise. So if I didn't believe that she was mad at me, I would be reaching out to her. I would send her this funny meme that I saw on Instagram. I would give her a call after work tonight, whatever the case may be. And then my favorite part of the work is after the four questions have been asked, which usually the four questions are enough to start to shift away from your like rigidly held belief that you're right about this painful thought or painful feeling. My favorite, favorite part is the turnarounds. So you try to find a bunch of different turnarounds. I'll give you some examples. So the first turnaround might be, so we say, she is mad at me. So the first turnaround might be, I am mad at her. Ooh. (laughs) Whenever I do turnarounds, I'm just like, this is the most profound thing ever. They might not always be true, but at least it starts to get you away from that vice grip you have on your own beliefs. Maybe you're mad at her. Maybe you're mad at her for not talking to you for a while, or maybe you're mad at her for making you feel like she's mad, even if she might not be, or ignoring your calls, or whatever happened to make you have this thought or have this feeling. The second turnaround might be, I am mad at me. And that one's harder to understand sometimes, but in this case, it might be, I'm mad at me for not having better boundaries right? I'm mad at me for not um, allowing myself the grace to feel sad that my friend has been ignoring me lately. And instead I'm blaming her for being mad at me. I, I don't really know, you know, what that might be for you or in this case, but that's the second one. And then the third one is always to do the opposite of the statement, which is usually more true than the statement itself. Um, so in this case, the the opposite of the statement would be, she's not mad at me. And usually it's like, yeah, probably. <laughs> but even if she was mad at you, at least now you have a little bit more freedom and flexibility in the way you're thinking about the situation that allows you some space and grace to move through the powerful feelings um, in a way that makes them less, have less of a hold over you. And I think that's the most important part is for us to be able to 
release that grip on those thoughts and introduce some space into your thinking process. Introduce more questioning and more, uh, you know, wondering about whether or not your thoughts are true. And you can do that by saying it out loud to a friend. You can do that by writing it down. You can do that by doing the work. Um, Any way you want to do it, I think that basically we just need to introduce as much as much areas for the ability to contradict that thought. So as many practices as we can do to, yeah, take a question and take stock of the actual thought itself and wonder whether or not it's real and valid. The last point that I wanted to make about our inner negative thoughts is that we need to be pretty aware of why and when they're coming up. And I think if you subscribe to the Stephen Pressfield uh, definition of resistance, which I do in many areas of life, then he gives us a really interesting framework to be thinking about these thoughts and feelings that we might be having, especially if they're coming at times when we are trying to up-level or grow in our lives and in our businesses, which of course we usually are. (laughs) Uh, If we're living, we're usually trying to grow towards something or to achieve a goal. And so he talks about how the the, the more powerful that a goal is for you, the more likely it is that you will have more resistance to it. And resistance, he says, comes in all kinds of forms. Negative self-talk is just one of them. Others might be procrastination or, you know, sabotaging yourself or sabotaging your work. Um, But the inner voices are usually the loudest, telling you to give up, telling you you're an imposter, telling you you don't have a right to make art like this, telling you Uh, who do you think you are, telling you that you'll fail anyway. All of these feelings and thoughts tend to be grouped into what he calls resistance. And I just want to quote one piece of his book, The War of Art, which is an amazing book. If you haven't read it, I would highly, highly, highly recommend The War of Art and Do the Work by Stephen Pressfield. They're both incredible, and I actually am probably due for a reread of both. Um, But one part he talks about is is about resistance and how resistance is just fear. So he says, fear is good. Like self-doubt, fear is an indicator. Fear tells us what we have to do. Remember our rule of thumb. The more scared we are of a work or a calling, the more sure we can be that we have to do it. Resistance is experienced as fear. The degree of fear equates to the strength of resistance. Therefore, the more fear we feel about a specific enterprise, the more certain we can be that that enterprise is important to us and the growth of our soul. That's why we feel so much resistance. If it meant nothing to us, there'd be no resistance. And I just think, how beautiful. I could never, ever say it better myself. Um it's so true. And I think if you are thinking about it in terms of how loud those voices are, often they're coming up more strongly and more powerfully when we are really close to breaking through on something. You know, when we're about to have a big success in our businesses, or we maybe have already just had a really big success in our businesses that we're not used to doing. Or maybe we meet a great guy and he is incredible and we are just waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, the whole time we're just feeling like, you don't deserve this. There's no way he could be this good, blah, blah, blah. The resistance is so loud and so strong and it keeps us from enjoying what we're experiencing in the moment. 
because we think that the resistance is real. So the more that I remember that the reason that these voices are so loud is an indicator that I am growing in the right direction, the easier it is for me to remove some of their power. Or as Elizabeth Gilbert says in her book, Big Magic, uh, fear is allowed to be in the car but fear can't drive <laughs> and fear can't even change the radio station. Fear can just like be in the back seat, saying whatever it wants, but it's not in control of the vehicle and never should be. <laughs> so let me know, how do you tackle your inner critic voices? How do you remove some of their power over you and remind yourself that they're not in control and nor are they necessarily accurate and correct. I would love to know. I'm always looking for more strategies and tools for how to handle this. And I will put links to everything that I mentioned in this episode over at my blog, lifeinlimbo.org slash inner critic. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Life in Limbo podcast. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend or reach out and let me know at Steph Pellet on Instagram. I would love to hear from you. As always, you can find show notes for this and all episodes at lifeinlimbo.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you soon.